everybody. Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics, the law, and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson. I'm joined by the show's co-host and producer, Joe Armstrong. And it is the end of June, which means we are going to be doing a big Supreme Court roundup. There were a number of decisions today, and we're really looking forward to breaking those down in plain English, sometimes even English that involves cuss words. So with that, Joe, take us away. Here we go, Jessica. Today, in the midst of a busy week of SCOTUS news, the Supreme Court issued four decisions, one that we've been affectionately been referring to as the swearing cheerleader case, another that deals with unions and property owners, the right of police to follow you into your home, and another one that involves shareholders of mortgage giants like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. We're going to discuss three of those decisions on today's episode. So as I like to say, let's jump right in. This may be my favorite case of this whole term, Jessica, the swearing cheerleader. In 2017, a then 14-year-old Pennsylvania high school student named Brandy Levy did not make her public school's varsity cheerleading team. Now, she was displeased by this and did what many teenagers do these days, which is to jump on a social media app of some kind. She jumped onto Snapchat to air her grievances about that decision. So, so far, so good. But Ms. Levy didn't just exhibit her disappointment. She went on what can only be called an expletive-laden tirade saying, and I seldom get to use these bleeps in podcast landia, Jessica. F*** school, f*** softball, f*** cheer, f*** everything. So setting aside the nihilism there, she also posted a picture of herself extending her middle finger and shared the lot of this with 250 of her friends. Now, the way Snapchat works, Jessica, Snapchat snaps is what they're called, generally disappear after your follows have viewed that snap. But anyone can take a screen grab of what you've sent for posterity. And that's just what happened when coaches from her school saw some screenshots. Levy was subsequently suspended from the junior varsity cheer team for a year for what the school officials said violated school rules. Levy went to court, and I think you can take it from here, Jessica. Well, F that. First of all, I really want to appreciate that you described Snapchat to me as if I was 118 years old, because actually I'm thankful for that. And the only reason really I know much about it is this particular case. So as you said, uh, she and her parents, because she was a minor, went to court. And she said, Look, my pom-poms and I are not making it to the varsity team. I was really upset. I posted on Snap, and then her friend saw it. Her friend showed it to her mom, who was, I believe, the coach of the cheerleading squad, and she was suspended. Now, this case worked its way all the way up to the Supreme Court, and what the court said today is, you don't get to punish her for this off-campus, online not during school hours speech. And so this is really the first case in about, or I should say the first big case in about five decades where the court tackled this issue of punishing student speech. Now, the latest and greatest precedent was really a case from 1969 that involved a student that was wearing a black armband to school to protest the Vietnam War. She was punished for that and the court said, she can't be punished for that. That's protected First Amendment speech. But you can, and this was really the big thing to take away from the case, you can punish other students for on-campus speech if it substantially and materially interferes with the school's mission. And so in the decades since, we've had a handful of decisions where public school administrators have punished 
students for speech, but we haven't had one really, I can't think of one where the, a student won. So this is a big effing deal because it's a rare win for students. And we haven't had one where we're dealing with off-campus online speech. And now we have a little bit of an answer to this question of what happens in this scenario. Now, here's what we know pretty briefly. We know that after today, Justice Breyer writing for an eight to one majority said, you can punish off-campus speech. It's not like the second a student walks off campus, then the school has no ability to reach that speech. But Justice Breyer said, we need to be really careful and we need to look at things like, what did that speech say? Was it specifically threatening or harassing or bullying? And so this was kind of frankly a vintage Justice Breyer decision in my mind because there are no bright lines. You can see him kind of saying, where do we draw this line? How do we strike this balance? And that's going to be left up for, I think, students, public school administrators, and lower courts to really flesh out this issue of where can we punish, where can we not punish when it comes to off-campus speech. And Jessica, it was fascinating for me to read how Justice Breyer wrote with that majority opinion about how he was wrestling with that, where do you draw the line? I do think it's an important distinction to make that she made these comments off of school grounds. She was not at school when she posted those things on Snapchat. She was on her own time doing her own thing. So we will see if that becomes a big deal down the road. And let's move on, Jessica. Let's talk about unions. The union's case found its origin in a California law that grants union organizers access to the property of agricultural businesses in order to discuss unions and union organizing. Two businesses from California challenged this law, saying that it violates the Fifth Amendment when it comes to prohibiting the government from taking private property without some kind of compensation. There were specific amounts of time that union organizers could enter properties, and a pair of California agribusinesses said that allowing those union organizers on their property, in essence, created an easement without their consent. Now, Jessica, to me, this sounds like a loss for unions on a grand scale. Am I reading correctly into this? Well, it's certainly a loss for unions. And the question, of course, is that phrase you use, grand scale. California is unique in having this law in the first place. This is an old law, dates back decades, and it allows for union organizers to basically go to the one place where we were sure they could find farm workers, and that was at their employer's place of business. Again, this is a time uh, before there was internet access, I absolutely understand that many farm workers do not have internet access. This was a time when a lot of farm workers were living on or adjacent to the property where they did their work. And so the law was created so that union organizers could have access to farm workers for a whole host of reasons that I think are, you know, absolutely make sense. And what happened in this case is that a nursery sued and they said, look, this law that allows union organizers to come on my property for three hours a day for at least 120 days a year with some other restrictions, that's amounting to taking my property because you're forcing me, government, to let people who I don't wanna be there on my property. And what the court said today is, you're right, that can amount to a taking under the Fifth Amendment. Joe, as you mentioned, 
What does the takings clause say? Really generally what it says is if the government wants to take your property, they need a really good reason and they have to pay you just compensation. Think about, for example, if the government wants to make a highway right where your house is and there's no other way around it. They need your house, they have a good reason, but they've got to pay you for that. And what the court again today said is in striking this balance between um, union organizers and private property holders, they weighed in favor of the private property holders. And Jessica, what was the count? How did the court rule on this decision? Well, Joe, this is one of those decisions that we might see more of this particular split. It was six to three down ideological lines with Chief Justice John Roberts writing for the majority. You have a vigorous dissent from Justice Breyer joined by the other liberals, Justices Sotomayor and Kagan. Again, it's the end of the term. We might see more of these ideologically contentious six to three divisions. We'll know more listeners in about a week on that one. All right, Jessica, before we get on out of here, the final decision we're going to discuss today involves the right for police to always, and that's a key word here, be able to enter a home without a warrant. The background here, a California man named Arthur Lang was playing loud music in his car late one night on a kind of a deserted road and honking and carrying on. A California Highway Patrol officer decided that Lang was violating a noise ordinance and followed Lang to his home, where he pulled him over in his driveway. Now, Lang left his car, said he did not see the police officer, entered his garage, but the officer prevented Lang's garage door from closing. The officer then entered Lang's property, smelled alcohol on his breath, and arrested him for both the noise ordinance and for driving under the influence of alcohol or a substance. Lang sued, arguing that the officer had no right to follow him into his residence for such a minor infraction. And as it turns out, the Supreme Court agreed with Mr. Lang's assessment of that in today's decision. Jessica, can you take us from here? I can. So this is a case that deals with the Fourth Amendment, which prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures. It protects our privacy rights from the government in many ways. And what happened here, as you said, Mr. Lang is going down this deserted highway. He's playing his music really loud. He's honking almost as if he's semi-intoxicated, which it appears that he might have been. And or I think he actually they proved that he was. And so what happens here is that the police follow him and they follow him into his home. I think he opens the garage door. He starts to close it. The police officer, I believe, kind of steps on the sensor so the garage door doesn't close and they approach him. That's entering his home without a warrant. Now, what the Fourth Amendment requires is that if you enter somebody's home without a warrant, you need an exception. And so what are those exceptions? Typically some type of emergency situation. And the one emergency situation or very serious situation that we know about is when you are in hot pursuit of somebody who might have committed a felony, where the police officer thinks that this person committed a felony. Now, the police officers were in hot pursuit, but nobody thinks that this noise ordinance violation is a felony. And the question was, well, can we basically open up that warrant exception even further and say, you don't need a warrant if you're in hot pursuit, not just of somebody who might have committed a felony, but also somebody who might have committed one of these much more minor offenses. And uh, the court said, nope. We're, we're very comfortable with our Fourth Amendment the way it is. You need a warrant to enter somebody's home in that type of circumstance. 
Jessica, I can't help but wonder what specific music he was playing on that deserted highway. <laughs> was it Hotel California? Was it something else? We'll never know. Mr. Lang knows. Maybe the court knows. But before we get out of here, Jessica, is it surprising to you that this was a unanimous decision? You know, I always can feel so smart when I later say no. But the truth is that the Fourth Amendment decisions oftentimes will unite the court and you won't see those ideological divisions that we saw, for instance, in the union organizer case that we just talked about. And these cases don't tend to break down along what people might predict, which is basically, do you want law enforcement to have more power or less power? I think in part because we're talking about something that the court has supported for so long, which is the right to privacy in your home. And this is something, Joe, we've talked about in other situations, but the justices all have homes and they can identify with the idea that you want more privacy in your home and that law enforcement needs a really good reason to come into your home without a warrant. So I think part of what's happening in the background of this is that the justices just get it. They can identify. We've seen that in other Fourth Amendment cases dealing with the right to privacy where I think when the justices can kind of by their life circumstances understand what's going on, um, that can actually unite them. And therefore we don't see any division at all. It's not just, it's not eight to one. We have a unanimous decision here. All right, Jessica, thank you so very much for that analysis. We surely do appreciate it. Now, one question before we go, if you were uh, carrying on on a dark desert highway, what song would you be playing too loudly on your stereo? I can't believe you're asking me that question. I think it's going to have to be, I'm sorry to turn off half our audience at this moment, but I think it's going to have to be Wildflowers by Tom Petty. Oh, excellent choice. Thank I always had you. a thing about playing softer music on the big thump and stereo. If I ever won the lottery, I would have a big thump and stereo and play a very calm band called the Cowboy Junkies very, very loudly at street corners and hopefully not get arrested and hopefully not have my case wind up in front of the Supreme Court. But if it does, Jessica, we will talk about it on the Passing Judgment podcast. So thank you to all of our listeners for listening. We do love talking about these things and sharing this information with you. You can find me, Joe Armstrong, on Twitter and Instagram and elsewhere at In-Depth Day. That's with a P-I-N-D. D-E-P-D-A-Y. And you can find Jessica on Twitter and Instagram at Levinson Jessica, where she's very active on Twitter. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Pass Judgment Pod and on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. And there is one more decision day this week on Friday, so we will likely talk to you then. Until then, have a great day, everybody.